Welcome to Fit Chicks Chat, the weekly podcast dedicated to educating and empowering women to take control of their lives, where we talk about fitness, nutrition, wellness, mindset, and a whole lot more. Today's episode is brought to you by Fit Chicks Academy, where we help heart-centered women just like you who love health and fitness get certified as fitness, nutrition, and health coaches and build amazing businesses. So if you're ready to create the life, health, and career you love, please join us for our upcoming Holistic Nutrition Weight Loss Expert Certification Program. To download the brochure today, head over to fitchicksacademy.com forward slash H-W-L-E brochure to learn more. Now let's dive into this week's episode of Fit Chicks Chat. Welcome to the Fit Chicks Chat Podcast, where we talk all things fitness, nutrition, and wellness for women to help you live your healthiest and fiercest life inside and out. And now, your hosts, Laura Jackson and Amanda Quinn. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fit Chicks Chat. I'm Amanda Quinn, and on today's podcast, I have a super special guest joining us. We have the amazing Dana Look Arimoto. And I love your last name. We were just talking about this offline. I wish it was my last name because it's so cool. <laughs> Even though I know a lot of people have trouble saying it for you. Um, so hi, Dana. How are you today? Great. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm so, so grateful to have you here. And we are going to be covering a really important topic that I think is missed and not like there's not big conversations that happen around this very often in society. And I think it's like in today's society, I think it's becoming a little bit more common to talk about, but it's not necessarily something that is like, you know, upfront, people don't really talk about it when they're experiencing it. They feel kind of shame and guilt and everything else. So today we are going to be sort of breaking down the whole idea of postpartum depression. And I think that this is a massively important conversation. So thank you. Thank you for sharing this knowledge with us and for being a part of this. Absolutely. I really want to share the story so others can learn and ideally help themselves. Now, before we get started with some of the questions I have around this, would you mind sharing like your story specifically about, you know, if you experienced postpartum depression and sort of how this became something that you were super passionate about? Yeah, so 19 years ago, I had my first daughter, and I had the experience of what I call the perfect storm. I was in a big corporate job. I thought somehow it would be a good idea to go back to work after eight weeks, not the three months that they offered me. It was a European-based company, and so they were very flexible. My boss was not, however, and so I felt a lot of pressure. I also was the primary breadwinner in my family, so I thought it would be a good idea to go back to work. It was my firstborn child. I didn't understand there was going to be this hormonal crash, and mine crashed pretty hard. And then to add on top of that, I had a misdiagnosed thyroid pituitary gland issue. And Mm -hmm. so, ladies, make sure you have a long panel thyroid test, not just the short panel. If you're not feeling right after having a baby and it's more than the baby, quote-unquote, blues, you really do need to be your own advocate and make sure that there's not something more going on. So I had really this perfect storm of things happening, lack of sleep, going back to work too early and a health issue that was lurking that I didn't even know I had. So it was about to come crashing down. Wow. Yeah, no, that sounds, that sounds really like extremely overwhelming. I know like with my first daughter, well, my only daughter, not my first, my daughter, um, when I had her, 
I was working in the hospital because I had her a bit early, like only about a week and a half early, but I clearly hadn't finished my year end accounting and I had to finish it. And I was literally, I had an emergency C-section and I was sitting there with my computer on my table working and getting my last minute financials done. And I was like, all the nurses thought I was crazy, but I'm like, it has to get done. You know, when you own your own business, it's a little bit different. You don't always have that luxury of taking time unless you plan for it really well. And I'm not the best at planning for that kind of stuff for myself. And we were talking about this offline you and I earlier about how my schedule gets a little crazy, but it's, it's interesting how, you know, if you have the work pressure, you have the health issue that you weren't even aware of, and then you have all the hormone stuff going on. And also just, I think the idea of becoming a new mom you have no idea what to expect. You can read everything you want. You can prepare as much as you think you can. But being a mom, I know for me, at least my experience was like, holy smokes, I feel like I'm learning to become a whole new human because it's like, this is all brand new to me. And this, it was just, it was so overwhelming in that sense. Yeah, they don't come with a handbook, do they, Amanda? No, (laughs) definitely. No, definitely not. Now, in terms of postpartum depression, why do you feel, or what are the reasons why so many women struggle with postpartum depression? Like what causes this? What are the major causes for this specifically? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is the hormonal crash that occurs and you almost become, you know, your own doctor when you're trying to figure out what the heck is wrong with you. In a case like mine, that was so severe that I was incredibly depressed. I went on antidepressants for the first and last time, luckily in my life. Um, I didn't have to stay on them after I got better and my thyroid was diagnosed, but it got very dark very quickly. One Mm -hmm. in 10 women experience postpartum depression. That's beyond baby blues, feeling a little off, a little bit of hormone crash. It's, you know, as mild depression to severe as you can imagine. We've seen the horror stories. You know, there's all kinds of forms of postpartum depression and anxiety and other types of even more irrational types of things that occur in the human body and therefore in the mind. We've right, seen Christy, right. Chrissy Teigen come out and talk about her postpartum depression, Serena Williams, you know, way back when, may, you may not all your listeners remember, but Brooke Shields talked about it on a talk show and Tom Cruise went crazy and accused her of like faking it basically. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. I so remember that. Know. Yes, because of his his Scientology believes that it's not real. Or something. Yeah, so it's taboo, which exacerbates the issue because it's not mm-hmm. just in the body and something physiological. It's obviously psychological, emotional, and mm-hmm. it affects the whole family. So a lot of strong, as I was, type A overachieving women, running companies, running the household, running my family, trying to run my own life, trying to take care of everybody and everything all at one time, as if there is such a thing as work-life balance, which is why I wrote a book to dispel that myth. We can't yeah. have it all by doing it all at one time. And, you know, thank you for sharing your story with your listeners, Amanda, as well, because we got we to gotta change this up. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I think that the idea that it's still taboo in today's society makes me really sad, to be honest, because I know I have a friend of mine who's a very good friend who also went through it, and she didn't really know what was happening in the moment, because it's like, it's such a different state that you're in. And I'm like, I look back at my, um, you know, like postpartum time, and I'm like, did I have it too? Like, I don't even know. Cause I remember feeling this huge disconnect with my daughter for the first 
little bit and everything. And it was like, is that what that was? Is it just, I, you know, was it the struggle that I had within me, the hormonal struggle? Like, I don't know. And I mean, everything's great now. She's fine. She's healthy. We're good. And you know, I, my hormones have balanced out finally. It took a really long time though. It took me about two years before they actually balanced out. But it's, it's just an interesting thing that we still don't talk about it because I do think the more, just like with other mental health issues, the more that we talk about it, the more that it becomes like more comfortable for people to share. And when people share, you see possibility, but you also see that like, you know, I think with mental health, sometimes we can feel like we're going to feel like this forever. We're going to feel like this is my new normal. This is what I'm going to feel like forever. And the reality is, is that you could, if you're not able to get help, but if you're able to have a conversation about it and get help, I do believe that there is other opportunities. So you're hitting on the most important piece, which is you have to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And as women who are strong and used to being, you know, in this type A superwoman type of hero complex, because we've been sold a bill of goods, that that's actually not only possible, but that it's a good thing and it's sustainable. Yeah. We don't ask for help. And when it's a gender issue and we see men not asking for help, we automatically go to, well, they must feel like that's weakness and they've been right. raised not to ask for help. But when women don't ask for help, especially of themselves and each other at the same time, that duality, uh, we're really doing ourselves and other women a disservice. So we just need to start like raising our hand and saying, look, I feel off. I don't know what it is. Like you just said, it's mysterious. I'm not myself. Yeah. And the most important thing I learned having this short-term depression, which I was never even a moody person. Like I was that girl that had her period and didn't get a cramp. I was so lucky. My girlfriends hated me. That's like me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we really have to ask for help and realize I feel off and know our own bodies, which is why your podcast is so important. Yeah, for sure. Now, are there, I mean, I know that we're saying like pay attention to yourself and your body, but would you say that there are any sort of symptoms or signs that people can look out for when it comes to postpartum depression and kind of, you know, that maybe, I know it may be unique to every single person, but are there some clear sort of signs that maybe can, you can indicate? Yeah, for me, it was mostly around sleep. At one point, about mm, her 11th week, so I was already three weeks into working a big corporate job, I did not sleep for three days. And if anyone hasn't slept for a day, wow. imagine 72 hours. So now you're what's called manic. Oh my gosh, yeah. And I'm not an amateur psychologist. I'm an executive coach, for goodness sakes. But there's, you know, life is life. And if you don't sleep for three days, you are going to be in a manic state. So it got really bad for me. The other signs were not just lack of sleep, lack of appetite, uh, definitely feelings of self-loathing. I felt inferior. I felt like a failure. I had trouble nursing. And these stories, as you do research and talk to other women and families, they all sound the same. Mm -hmm. A lot of it has to do with our own feelings of failure or inadequacy on being the perfect mom. So you can already right. see why wanting to be the perfect mom is probably not such a good idea. Now I just say, oh, another year I'm not mother of the year and I've got two healthy strong <laughs> <daughters>. <laughs> a friend of mine and I we always joke because like she was visiting in town one day and she um, she has two kids and they were at a hotel and she was just like okay we're gonna come meet you but we didn't have time for breakfast and then one of the kids ate a cupcake that was in the room because the hotel had left cupcakes in the room and she's like 
so they're eating cupcakes for breakfast. And she's like, mom of the year. And I was like, totally. I'm like, they're happy. It's fine. They don't eat that every day. <laughs> you know, Throw it's some like, milk with it and it's a meal. <laughs> yeah, it's like, just like, let it go. It's totally cool. You know, it's like fine. And like, I, I, why do you think though, that we are so conditioned to wanting to be that superwoman? Cause I know that even I have that complex of like being like, no, I got it. I got it. Right. Like I run a business. I take care of my household. I take care of, you know, um, I do all the cooking, all the groceries. I do like, I do not do all the cleaning. We hire a company because I realized that I could not do all of those things. You know, I do, I do hire help when I need help now because I've become, I believe a little smarter, a little wiser when it comes to my own space and giving myself time to breathe. But why do you think that we are so conditioned to have that, um, that superwoman mentality? Yeah, a lot of it is the media, like all things. We have these public figures that we idolize. And if you were to look at these powerful women behind the scenes, I've been in Silicon Valley for 20 years, so we're talking like Sheryl Sandberg, Marissa Meyer, like incredible strong women who are also moms. Yeah. Behind the scenes, they don't look the way they look in the media. They aren't, you know, airbrushed in life. They have a lot of help to your point. And so when I do a lot of public speaking for women and men, the topic usually does come up like, how do you deal with outsourcing in your own life? And for men and for women, especially women who are trying to do it all, you've got to let something go and you've got to embrace the notion of getting some outside help, whatever that looks like, whether it's family, friends, you hire someone. And so again, it's back to asking for help and knowing that you're going to hit the wall is not a good time to ask for help. You got to reel it back and ask before you get to that end point or Mm -hmm. you're in trouble. Now, do you think that there's anything that women can do either during or before they even get pregnant? Maybe they're just even like planning, they're trying, they're like in that process. Is there anything that women can do specifically to support themselves ahead of time so that maybe they are not going to have to maybe deal with it as much. I know that it's hormone relate, related, so there may or may not be a solution to that, but is there anything that you can do to kind of help yourself prepare for it in some ways? Well, I'll tell you my own story again. So when I went and made the decision with my now ex-husband, I am happily remarried, uh, and the biological father and I have a good relationship. He and I were really adamant that we wanted another child, but we were very scared because the statistics are very dark. It says that one out of two pregnancies, so 50%, will result in postpartum again. And so to know you're entering that mode potentially for yourself, now your baby, your beautiful baby or young child and your family, your right. extended family, including your partner, it, it's really daunting. So we were knowing at least what we were up against. And so there were precautionary things we could do, including some medications that would be safe for the mom and baby. Luckily, very fortunately, I didn't have it again. So I didn't need those things. But just having a plan and knowing there's some type of support is really helpful. And you can also join a support group. There's tons of stuff online. There's a postpartum depression society you can look at. So there's so much more information today than there was 19 years ago, yet it's still pretty underground. So definitely, definitely, yeah, definitely. No. And that's super helpful. And I just, you know, like I said, like, I think that this conversation of having, you know, having this conversation and putting it up front is so important. Now I want to switch gears if you don't mind just a little bit and talk a little bit more about like the, what you were just talking about earlier, which I know you're talking about in your book too, which is the whole idea of this 
like work-life balance or even just life balance in general. Can you tell us a little bit more about your thoughts around that? Because I have, my thoughts are there's no such thing as balance. Um, and sister. <laughs> okay, cool. So we're on the same page because that's my thoughts. Cause I'm like, I believe that there's always, there's a lot of different elements in every person's life and there's key players that take precedent at different times. So sometimes it could be my health is, you know, my fitness is like my thing that I'm focused on. And then it's like my work, like it'd be like kind of like in a, in like my top three, you know, it'll be like my fitness, my work and my family or something. And then like the next week it can completely shift because my daughter's sick. And now it's like, you know, like that nothing else matters. It's the only thing that matters is that she feels better or whatever. Like, so what are your thoughts around that whole idea of trying to achieve balance? Because there's so many people that try to say like, Oh, work-life balance and this and that. And I, I just disagree with that. Yeah. So that's why I wrote the book. So this is incredible. Yeah. It, it's a myth. It's a bill of goods. We've been sold again, yeah. mostly in public domain that everybody can do everything all at once. You can have it all. Just do it all. Come on, ladies, keep lifting. Like that's a bunch yeah. of baloney. And, in fact, you're spot on. There are five key life areas, including career, family, vitality, your own health, wellness, friends, yeah, yeah. and society, giving back. And we all prioritize them differently and situationally and relatively to your exact scenario. If your kid is sick and you're the mom, you're going to be hyper-focused on that and that's how it goes. Yeah, what yeah. if you knew you could actually design your life with two or three key areas to pour in your time and your productivity and derive value and joy. That's the key to what I call settling smart, the conscious trade-off. Right. Otherwise, it's going to happen and it'll happen to you involuntarily or unconsciously. And that's where the trouble begins. And what does that look like normally for like, no, staying sort of focused on like moms and like new moms, like what would that look like for a new mom in terms of like the, the chaotic side versus actually being conscious about the decisions yeah. in your opinion, of course, everyone's going to be different, but in your opinion, what would that kind of look like? Yeah. And I say this a lot in my coaching practice, especially with women. I coach both men and women and with women in particular, I talk about me before we, and it's so hard for us achievers to hear that and accept it, let alone practice it. Yet yeah. if we don't put that oxygen mask on first, we know we can't help others. We've all been on the airplane. We've all seen the emergency information and we mostly mm -hmm. ignore it. And then, you know, <laughs> when that plane had an issue two years ago and people put their masks on like this and not over their nose and the poor flight attendants are thinking, they're all so lucky to be alive. It's over your nose and mouth. We've heard it over and over and we ignore it. Mm -hmm. So we do that in our own life. We ignore it. We have to help ourselves so that we have enough energy and excitement and joy to help others. Now, the thing though that I, cause I do have a lot of resistant feelings that come up when people say that to me as well, being a mom, being an entrepreneur, being the person that I am, it makes me feel very uncomfortable and I know that, and I'm aware of my resistance and I'm aware of probably the reasons why, but I think one of the things that I find most resistant is, or I guess it's like the clarity of like what you mean by me, like taking care of me in my mind is like taking care of my health, like doing my workouts, doing my meditation practice and eating well. Like those are the things that are really important to me. 
But I know that sometimes people, and I'm not judging, I'm just saying that I think that sometimes people, they take it out of context and they think it's more about like always putting myself first. Is that your, is that sort of on track of what you mean? Or is that sort of like you still believe that it should always be your decision before anyone else's? It's really dependent on everyone as an individual. And to your point, it changes sometimes on the daily. Yeah. It's design element of, I love what I do. I've been a career person since I was 16. And I've had an incredible career. And I'm fortunate enough to have my own company. I've written a book. I'm on stages. Like I'm speaking. I'm sharing the message. I'm coaching. It's my life's work and passion. My family understands, for me, that comes first. Because it does fill my cup. It does bring me joy. Yeah. I love spending time with my family. So I will trade off friendship time, guilt over not volunteering the way I want to. I will trade that off to be with family as much as humanly possible. Yeah. And then work on myself and my vitality and my health and my fitness. I've tried meditation. I'm sure you could coach me. It's never <laughs> I can give you some great tips for sure. Yeah, <laughs> listen to more of your shows. So for me, that's the current sequence, but I'm always reassessing where I'm at by design because otherwise I'm just in default mode. Whatever happens, I'll react to it and I'll deal with it. It's much more empowered to get ahead of it and to make the choice and then own your choice, whatever it is, and do it with, you know, pride. Don't feel bad. And guilt isn't an emotion anyway. Let's dump the guilt. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. Well, Dana, thank you so much for sharing all this information with us. Why don't you tell our listeners, um, if you don't mind, just sharing a little bit more about your book and um, if there's any pre-orders available or how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, so it's on Amazon and it's called Stop Settling, Settle Smart. It's about rethinking work-life balance to design your busy life the way you want it. It's also available through my website, settlesmart.com. You can find me on social media and please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear about your stories, what's working and what's not on your current and desired state of life. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dana. And of course, um, for everyone listening, thank you so much for listening today. You can check out fitchicksacademy.com where you can find out more information about our upcoming certification programs. But also if you go under our blog link, you can also read more about Dana, her book, as well as this podcast episode and um, all of her links will be available there. So make sure you go to fitchicksacademy.com as well so that you can find out more information. So Dana, thank you again. It was truly a pleasure. I think, I think the information that you shared was so insightful. And I think just putting, again, just putting like a platform in place to talk about these things is so key. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fit Chicks Chat Podcast. Want more healthy love? Visit www.fitchicks.com for amazing resources, free workouts, recipes, tips, and so much more to help you live your healthiest and fiercest life inside and out. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Fit Chicks Chat. And remember, if you are ready to create the life, health, and career that you love, make sure to join us for our upcoming Holistic Nutrition Weight Loss Expert Program to become a certified holistic nutrition and health coach. Download the brochure today at fitchicksacademy.com forward slash HWLE brochure, and we'll see you next week.